This is the huddle with Jake Heaps and Stacy Ross getting you guys ready for the Seahawks upcoming game. This one is going to be a week 14 matchup against the Houston Texans on the road. Before we get to that, though, let's take a quick look back. And this time it's great news. The Seahawks won. It was a 30 to 23 win over the visiting San Francisco 49ers to Lumen Field. So let's start here. The Seahawks, uh, most importantly, get the win, but also they control time of possession. It feels like this time there was a change of pace there. 33 minutes to San Francisco's 20. Six minutes. That was a nice change for what's been an ongoing problem for Seattle. And how about this one? Russell Wilson, 30 of 37, 231 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Although I think we can all say that interception maybe not totally on Russell Wilson there. Uh, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, both great days, over 60 yards apiece. A touchdown for Tyler Lockett to put Seattle ahead in that one. It was a lead they did not surrender. Importantly, Quandre Diggs also gets his fourth intercept or fourth interception of the season. It's a great day, a great day for Seattle on offense, on defense. They didn't completely write the ship with third downs, Jake, but they did just about everything else right. They did, and, and, and it's funny how five conversions on third down, how that can seem to make a big difference for an offense. And, you know, it's still not perfect and right where they want to be, but it is a definite improvement. And, you know, you start the game off and it with a bang in terms of, uh, not the not the opening possession, but the fake punt that ensued with Travis Homer uh, going and running for you know a 73 yard touchdown. That was absolutely bananas. And from that point on, Stacy, that was the theme for the rest of the day. Just pure and utter chaos. Mm-hmm. That was one of the craziest games, Seahawks games that I have seen in quite some time. And that's saying something, considering we have seen some insane Seahawks games. Uh, over the years but you know you talk about the turnovers the back and forth constantly um, it just had you on the edge of your seat the entire way you had an interception in the end zone when Gerald Everett kind of drops uh, uh, what would have been a touchdown catch and then kind of kicks it up into the air it's picked off and then San Francisco to start that drive Jimmy Garoppolo is sacked in the end zone it's a safety not only is it a safety but it's a safety by Carlos Dunlap who's been otherwise pretty quiet for you this year and yes. oh by the way that score tied the game 23 all <laughs> it's just chaotic a, chaotic energy it's just a sample of the rest of that game there's no doubt um, but it was uh, obviously that was a big story of it the other side of the of the game was the fact that you got to see Russell Wilson look like Russell Wilson you know 30 to 37 231 yards that you know the yards per attempt were low but it needed to be and and the fact that he got the ball out of his hands with like 2.25 seconds uh pretty consistently throughout the game according to next gen stats uh that was much needed in terms of the way they needed to beat uh the San Francisco 49ers who had a very very good uh, defensive line and your Seahawks offensive line has been battered, or battered and bruised uh, through the season and was definitely hurt going into this game and, and got even more hurt with injuries when Kyle Fuller went out and then when Brandon Shell went out. So just getting the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands was key, you know, operating quickly, efficiently. All those things were really, really good to see. And you saw the decision making and the accuracy matched to the level of what we know and expect from Russell Wilson. Seattle's defense has a chance to continue to build on that performance with a game this upcoming Sunday, 10 a.m. kickoff against the Houston Texans on the road. Now, they're playing an offense that ranks 32nd in total offense, meaning just total yards per game. That's it. Rushing, passing, whatever it is, yards per game, just 254 for the Houston Texans. The stat, though, that you guys probably have your eye on is the 
points per game. Houston averaging just over 13 points per game. That also 32nd in the league. Let's talk about, though, what the offense has a chance to do. One of the interesting parts of last week, well, it was the Seahawks signing Adrian Peterson. The future Hall of Fame running back had a touchdown for the Seahawks, became their first offensive score of the game. The first score obviously being Travis Homer's 73-yard touchdowns on special teams. Awesome job for Travis Homer there. But let's look ahead to the running backs, Seattle running backs versus the Houston Texans defense. This defense, Jake, giving up 144 rushing yards per game. Yeah, it is an area that if you're looking at this from a Pete Carroll perspective and and wanting to be balanced and wanting to be better in that area of the run game, this is certainly the opportunity to right that ship and to be better in that area, to control the game, uh, to play the style in which you want to. And, and quite frankly, I will be watching this very closely to see if this offensive line, if this running game can get themselves going in a positive way versus the worst rushing defense in the league. And that, to me, is going to be, I wouldn't say an indictment, but it'll definitely be revealing to this team. And it's not to say that if they run for you know 170 yards or whatever the case may be, that, hey, they have found, they have found their running game and they fixed the issues and the problems, but it will be more concerning if they still have similar struggles to get the run game going against a very, very poor run defense. Well, I mean, if the... If the Tennessee, or excuse me, if the, uh, the if the Texans defense rushing yards allowed total one forty four was their offensive rushing yards, they'd be fifth in the league in total rushing yards per game. <laughs> like that's how much they would have more rushing yards per game than Tennessee, San Francisco, Chicago. <laughs> Arizona. I mean, they'd only be trailing uh, right now Philly number one, but uh, the Colts with Jonathan Taylor there, who's fantastic, Browns and Ravens. Like, that's the only teams that would be better than the Houston Texans. Oh, but by the way, they aren't actually gaining those yards. They're giving them up. So you almost have no excuse here, but for a guy like Rashad Penny to really get going, you saw a little bit more of him in this one. You did, and you actually got contribution out of him. And, And the thing is, is that when you talk about Rashad Penny, it was nice to see him contribute in a lot of different ways. You know, it wasn't that he had a monster game. It wasn't that he had monster stats. When you go back and look at it, he had 10 carries for 35 yards, 3.5 yards per carry. That's not something that you're just like, wow, what a day. But he contributed. He was a part of the the game plan throughout throughout the entire game. Uh, he caught a screen pass that he then turned into a 23-yard gain, uh, which was impressive to see him cut back you know, across the field. And then the other thing that I really love to see from him that we have not seen in his entire career was the fact that the that he stepped up in, in blitz protection. Uh, there were on two occasions where uh, he stymied the, the uh, safety from coming in and, and getting to Russell Wilson, and that is doing the dirty work and that's doing every aspect of what you're you were hoping to see from Rashad Penny now you just hope that you can get better numbers and more production out of him and that if he can catch a little bit of a rhythm and catch some confidence here it would be really nice to have that in your arsenal to finish out the rest of the season. There's a little bit of an unknown when it comes to the quarterback situations for the Texans this Sunday. Terod Taylor, who's been their starter or maybe their their preferred starter, right now has a hyperextended wrist, so he's day-to-day. He did practice this week, although also practicing as rookie Davis Mills. Davis has also started for this team, as has Terod, clearly, but uh, it's unclear which quarterback the Texans are going to go with. I'm going to ask you what you think first, though. Let me play this clip for you. This is Bobby 
Bobby Wagner yesterday explaining uh, that they're preparing for both and, and giving us a little example of, of what he sees from both guys. They're pretty much the same, but obviously uh, Tyra has a uh, ability to run. Um, they have a little bit more um, uh, zone reads and, and things where he can keep the ball. Um, they run it with uh, um, the other guy, but you know he's not going to keep it too much. And it's not really designed for him to keep it. It's more so for... Um, you know, when we're falling asleep, he'll he'll keep it just to keep us honest. There are two consistents with Bobby Wagner. Number one, he'll get 100 tackles a year. Number two, he will not call a rookie by his first or last name. <laughs> you're just rook or that guy. That's, Correct. Or you're a, maybe a number if you're lucky. He, if he's impressed by you, you're a jersey number. Jake, what do you see with these two quarterbacks? Who do you think is starting? Well, I, I think it's Davis Mills that's going to be the one that's starting in this game. And Tyrod Taylor's coming off of injury. And, and Tyrod also, I think although he is a respected quarterback in this league in terms of being a good, solid backup, right, in the NFL, uh, th- it's time where the Texans are at to see what Davis Mills is. And if you're going to lean on starting either quarterback, I really think that it's time to really turn it over to Davis Mills and see and see what he can do. Um, I, I think that that part of it is very clear. You draft him in the third round for a reason. You like what he is capable of becoming. Um, and so overall, I do think that the Seahawks are going to see Davis Mills. You're going to see a traditional pocket passer. And we'll see how the Seahawks are able to capitalize on that opportunity knowing that you're going to have pretty much a statue back there in the pocket. Now uh, another big storyline not just in this game but for the rest of the season is going to be what the Seahawks defense looks like without Jamal Adams. Pete Carroll confirming the news on Wednesday that Jamal Adams will have surgery to his already surgically repaired shoulder so he's done for the season. Now the team is going to look to free agency to maybe add someone. Pete Carroll mentioning Bradley McDougald as a potential signing but otherwise they're turning to Ryan Neal. That is who we're going to see on Sunday against the Texans. Ryan Neal uh, yesterday was asked, like, hey, what are your conversations with Jamal? What have they been? You know, you do want to get, of course, you get advice from a guy like that. That's an all-pro pro bowler we're talking about. So going over his house, always in his ear. What does he see? How does he see it? And, you know, the one thing I, the one thing is this, man. I'm not Jamal. You know what I mean? That's a special kid with special talent. I'm Ryan Neal. So Ryan Neal's going to do what Ryan Neal's going to do. I'm my own guy out there. That's what Ryan Neal is saying. What kind of guy is Ryan Neal? Well, Ryan Neal is a playmaker. That that is what we know of him. That he is a guy that can make plays, and particularly in in the passing game. So I, I think that Ryan Neal's going to do a good job filling in for Jamal Adams. There's definitely going to be a drop off. I mean, anybody who's sitting there thinking that Ryan Neal um, is better than Jamal Adams or any of that conversation, I I just firmly disagree with you. That is totally discounting and being upset that the trade that you made did not pay off the way you were hoping it would. It does not discount the player, and so I, 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 so I think that when Ryan Neal steps in, the one thing that he does extremely well is he is a good cover safety, and that is where his best skill set lies. And and quite frankly, with the way that the defense is playing right now and the style in which they play, it has been more to the traditional roots of Pete Carroll and how he plays his cover three system, how he plays man-to-man and puts those guys in those positions. So I think Ryan Neal is going to fare favorably well, and I think he'll do a good job in the replacement of Jamal Adams. Now, when we're looking ahead to this Texans offense, I mentioned how horrible it was. They're 32nd overall yards per game, 32nd overall in points per game. So there is an opportunity here, especially if they're starting a rookie quarterback who has, I believe, more interceptions than he does touchdowns. Then you have a chance there for a good day from Ryan Neal. Either way, though, we're going to be talking to a couple uh, players here coming up. We've got Daryl Taylor joining us next and Sidney Jones. Don't go anywhere. This is The Huddle.
Here's a second down and five. Heineke finally hit and brought down by Taylor. The Seahawks have been getting oh so close. Collier was close. And Daryl Taylor on second effort brings down Taylor Heineke for a loss of four yards. That was Daryl Taylor getting his fifth sack of the season. Daryl Taylor joins us right now on the huddle. Uh, Daryl, first of all, thank you for joining us. And uh, how did it feel to, to notch your fifth sack? You're leading the team. Uh, it feels really good, you know. Um, rushing with the guys I rushed with has been great, you know. Um, <clears throat> season hasn't been going how we wanted it to, but, you know, we just got to keep getting after it every day. And, you know, I think it's been great, and it's, it feels good, you know, to be where we are right now. So we're going to keep working. Daryl, this has been a learning process for you, and, and there's no better learning experience than actually getting the experience on the job. How much do you feel like you have grown from the start of the season to where you are now? I feel like I've grown so much, man. It's, it's ridiculous, you know, from the, uh, my first NFL game till now because, you know, <clears throat> there's so much I didn't know in that first game. And now it's like <laughs> I understand so much, you know, just from me playing over the course of this season. Um, and it's been really great, and I'm excited about it. Daryl, in what way do you feel like you have grown the most? Has it been in technique and understanding the playbook? Uh, you know, run defense. What areas would you point to that you've you've really feel like you've improved? I would say uh, with my awareness uh, as a player, you know, and uh, studying our playbook. You know, getting our playbook and knowing exactly what uh, we want to do to attack. You know, our opponent and uh, understanding what they're trying to do to uh, you know defend the attack. So, I um. I definitely think I've grown a lot, you know, as far as uh, awareness as a player and, you know, finding my ways you know, to make plays and make the plays that my team need um, to uh, win the game. So I think I've grown in that area and I've grown a lot, you know, as far as uh, knowing what I'm supposed to do. I was going to say, I have to imagine that, you know, having to miss your rookie season, knowing that you could have been close, especially late in the year, um, obviously it, it had to be heartbreaking and, and I, I can't imagine, but did you kind of also use that time to maybe take advantage of watching film in a way you wouldn't have been able to or, or pick some veteran brains? I mean, in what ways did you still try to get after it? Um, you know, just mentally, you know, staying on top of everything, you know, training my mind, you know, to uh, deal with what I was going through and everything like that, and, you know, and understanding that, you know, when my opportunity does rise, um, I'm ready to, you know, be there and, and make the plays that they need me to make. But uh, it was it was rough last year, but I've moved on from last year, and I, I, I'm ready. I'm just looking forward to everything that's going on this year. So, you know, I really don't like to talk much about last year because it's behind me now, and <clears throat> now I'm just uh, ready uh, moving forward and everything and uh, knowing that, um, I'm going to get better each week, you know, and uh, I'm trying to create as much success, you know, for myself and, you know, as much as I can allow for my team, too. Has there been any teammates that you have that you have gotten advice from through the process or that you've leaned on uh, for advice as you're going through, uh, you know, not just learning the playbook, but just, you know, how to handle yourself as a pro in general? Yeah, definitely. I get a lot of advice from Carlos Dunlop, you know, him being an older player, being here, uh, playing in the league for a long time. So I get a lot of advice from Carlos, you know, he uh, takes me under his wing and, you know, gives me the advice that, you know, he thinks that I need and I understand it and, you know, and I run with it and use it as much as I can possibly use it. So, uh, you know, that's a guy that that's, uh, since uh, he's gotten here, he's, you know, been in my ear a lot and, you know, I appreciate it and uh, trying to be a pro just like him. So, yeah. Daryl, I've talked to a lot about 
locker room dynamics and and leadership and and things of that nature and how it can take shape and how you need everybody to take ownership in a role and it can't just come from the main figureheads yeah that's great to have that leadership from guys like Russ and Bobby and you name it but uh how do you feel like the young core you being a part of that has stepped up and and are you guys do you feel like you're growing in that leadership aspect of things yeah I feel, yeah I think you definitely will definitely get to that point you know like <clears throat> me Jordan you know out and you know, the guys that came in my class, DJ Dallas, you know, those guys and everything, you know, I um, think that, you know, as we keep moving forward and everything, we'll continue to grow as players, you know, and as leaders. And, you know, when the time calls for us to, you know, step into those roles, you know, I think that we'll do uh, exactly, you know, um, the right way, you know, that the Seahawks want us to do and need us to do for this team, you know, to uh, continue to be successful. So I think that, you know, uh, Jordan's definitely stepping into a role where he, he's becoming a leader. You know, we all are, you know, trying to find our way to um, help lead the team to wins and everything like that. So I think as time goes, we'll step into those roles, and you know, um, as the Seahawks need us to. Hey, Daryl, take us inside the locker room after the win over the 49ers. We obviously weren't in there as reporters, but uh, let me tell you what, you could hear it from outside those doors. So what was happening in there? Oh, we was just having fun enjoying the win because we had we you know we hadn't got to say it that we won in yeah. a while, so we was enjoying the win, you know, and we was just you know talking about how we need to you know continue that success and winning because it feels good, you know, it makes a lot everything better when you win, and so you know just uh, understanding that we need to stay the course and that uh, we can make this happen. So. That's all, you know, everything, everybody was excited about the win and about moving forward about it. Hey, I want to get back to Carlos Dunlap for a minute, because from the outside looking in, this guy is seems to be always in a good mood. Like, he's, like, dancing at training camp. I mean, like, when you guys are on the field about to, like, play, he's dancing. Is that kind of the energy that he has, just a fun guy to be around? Yeah, he brings that energy every day, and we love it about him, so... Um, I think it's been great having him, you know, he's bringing lots of, he's lots of energy and always smiling and everything like yeah. that, joking around. And, you know, that's kind of like the attitude that we take as a team, and it's been really good for us, you know. <clears throat> and I, I think that uh, Carlos, he definitely brings that energy around all the time. It's it's also goes to speak, you know, towards, you know, not just the individual, but the organization as well. I mean, there you've been a part of it, Daryl. You've been through ups and downs in your career, especially you know in high cooker, high pressure cooker situations with you know college football and now the NFL. And coaches, man, they're funny. They change, they change their message, they change their approach when things aren't going well. Uh, and, and that is one thing that I loved about Pete Carroll is that he never really changed. He never changed his approach. How important has that been as you guys have been navigating this four and eight season so far? Oh, that's been very important, you know, because we, we put in our game plan each weekend and we expect the game plan to work to win. And then when that doesn't happen, and it hasn't happened for, you know, for some time, uh, we just get back in the lab and we put, a, get, put together another plan for that week and we get ready and we get ready to execute that plan on Sunday. So that's all we look forward to. And that's what Coach Carroll is, you know, uh, feeding to us each and every day. We look forward to executing our plan, getting through the week, like, you know, executing it through the week and then doing it on Sunday so that we can win. And that's what we do every day, you know. And if the outcome doesn't uh, come out with a win, you know, we can get back in the lab and do the same thing because we all have a job to do, and that's what we're going to keep doing every day until the season is over. Well, speaking of, you guys are going to be out there this Sunday against the Houston Texans, this one on the road. He is Daryl Taylor, Seahawks leader in sacks. Daryl, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And have fun out there this Sunday, man. 
All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Daryl. All right. We're sticking on defense for this one. Cornerback Sidney Jones going to join us next. Do not go anywhere. The play fake. Garoppolo looks. Throws to the end zone. Ball is knocked away in the back of the end zone intended for Trent Sherfield. It looked like he had a shot to make the catch. But Sidney Jones was right there to break it up. And now it comes down to a fourth and goal from the three for the Niners. All right, we are going to be joined here in just a couple of minutes by Sidney Jones. Uh, right now, starting cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks. He is just now leaving practice, maybe a couple seconds away here. That cut you just heard was Sidney Jones defending a third down attempt from Jimmy G to try to get that win for the 49ers deep in Seattle territory. A fantastic goal line stand for the defense. Now, the the 49ers got 23 points. That's a little higher than the Seahawks defense has been allowing this year, but a key stop there. And Sidney Jones, a huge part of it. He joins us right now. Sidney, please, please walk us through that play on third down. You you don't uh, let the pass uh, get completed. I don't care what anyone says. It was not defensive pass interference. I don't care. It was a great play. Walk us through it. Yeah, it was uh, it was crunch time, so game on the line, you know, had to make a big play. Um, the play before that, they ran the ball, and then I came in and made a nice hit. Um, every blade of, blade of grass matters at that point. And then next play, third down, pass, I got to gotta lock my defender by, by any means and don't let him box me out. And it was a physical physical game and a physical uh, matchup all game, and we're – um, that's what it came down to, physicality, and, you know, I was able to make the play. Did you get the feeling that your guy would be uh, targeted? or Like, were you reading his body language, or did you see something before the play where you thought, I think they're going to him? Oh, no. It's it just every play you're yeah. expecting. Um, you're expecting the ball to come your way. So uh, just read your keys of, of your man and, and then guard him to play him. Sydney, what has this process been like for you as you've come back here uh, to a familiar place here in Seattle? And and uh, it, has it been nice being able to make that transition, not with the organization being familiar with the Seahawks, but, you know, at least you know your surroundings? Yeah, for sure. Um, being here has been has been awesome. I love I love the city. I love the food in the city. Um, there's a lot of great things. I, you know, restaurants. I'm a I'm a big food guy, so um, super excited to be back and to eat all the food that I love here and um, just just to have my Huskies and go catch a couple games and stuff like that. And you know, that's a that's always a luxury um, to have something like that. What's the best in your backyard? You yeah. Know? What's the best meal you've ever had here in Seattle or around Seattle? a little bit of a shout out um Go it's called for it. simply simply soulful okay and it's a soul food spot and um around the seattle area okay what'd All you right. order what do, what do i know to order here i get the uh fried chicken dinner uh okay. with um home fries and mac and cheese all right okay. expectations that, are that, high that sounds really really good Sydney. So. Yeah, with with hot sauce. Okay. With, with hot sauce. We'll okay. Do. We'll All right. Do. We'll we'll have to we'll have to uh, give our report here from from Sydney Jones. Uh, Sydney, you know, you mentioned being through the process of all right. You were in Philly, Jacksonville, now Seattle. You know, with each step along the way, um, you know, what have you learned from every organization that you've been with that has made you the player that you are right now? Uh, every 
every organization has its positives and negatives, um, even just season-wise with a winning record and stuff. Um, it's a lot you can take. Uh, it's just, it's, if you want me to give a whole a whole story, I, I'll be I might be here for forever. <laughs> but it's it's a it's a lot of good things, a lot of negative things, and you just you just see what see what you like, see what you don't like. It's kind of just like life, you know, life in football. And yeah. it's just at the end of the day, it's a blessing to be able to play uh, football, regardless of any circumstance, good or bad. Yeah, I mean, Sydney, there's, there's no doubt about that and, and, and taking those lessons and being able to dissect them and, and use them for the betterment of, for you as a, as a player and a man. I mean, that, that is obviously the, the ultimate goal here, um, you know. But, uh, you know, as you go through this process and, you know, you first got on with the Seahawks just to start, barely start the season um, and then eventually made your way onto the field with some time, how, how long did it really take you to – feel like you got your feet underneath you and all right now I'm good I feel great now I can go make plays uh to be honest it took a while uh longer than I expected or wanted to um it I would say about six games in five six games in okay um and then like towards the I think the Saints game I really started to feel a little bit more comfortable and stuff um but but that's been that's been good you know, Sydney, what what is that process like? It, most people don't understand the idea of how the relationship and the chemistry is and how important that is when it comes to the secondary, when it comes to the linebackers and everybody being on the same page. I mean, there's so much trust that goes into that. So what has that process been like, not only trying to get yourself up to speed, but then, you know, developing that chemistry with the rest of the guys? Oh yeah, the chemistry is a whole other section of of things you have to think about when it comes to a good team or having a complimentary defense. And um, it was it was a process, um, just kind of like just as a playbook or feeling comfortable. That that chemistry part was also a big part of it. Um, you just step you're stepping into a, a new atmosphere um, in terms of team and organization wise, and you don't have any type of communication understandings or you have to learn it's, a, it's just a learning curve and just in terms of brotherhood nobody had a brotherhood with me at that point because I'm a, I'm a fresh face so um, all that all that stuff takes time and um, I think we're at a good spot right now yeah that was well said uh, I, we have to let you go but I am going to let you know that uh, a listener texted in and told you if you haven't yet to since you're a foodie to check out Southern Kitchen in Tacoma they said they think you'd like that if you like uh, Simply Soulful so okay, passing that along alright thanks so much Sydney we appreciate it alright thank you bye bye thanks Sydney all right, and that was Sidney Jones. Earlier you heard from Daryl Taylor. This Seahawks defense has played so well over the last couple of weeks here, and Jake, they're going to have a chance to keep that going against the Texans offense, which is 32nd in just about everything. Points per game, they're 13. Yards per game, they're 32nd, about, what, 250, 240 or so. Uh, how do you look at specifically, we've got about two minutes left here, but uh, specifically the secondary. They're not going to have Jamal Adams. They've got Ryan Neal back there. Sidney Jones uh, is in there. Uh, that cornerback group settled down. But what kind of chances do they have here? Well, they've got tremendous chances, and they've got an opportunity to be aggressive. Now, it doesn't mean that you know the, the, the Houston Texans don't have any talent. I mean, when you talk about what they're – 
who they have and somebody that they have to really, really make sure they keep an eye on and not let have a big game, that would be Brandon Cooks. Um, and, and so Brandon Cooks is a is still a dynamic big play weapon. He is one of the weirdest stories out there in the NFL in terms of a guy who's been moved around from place to place, been traded as much as he has been traded to then, um, you know, uh, still be productive. I mean, he has 65 receptions for 700, 742 yards. I mean, he doesn't have, you know, a, a bevy of touchdowns, but he's still an incredibly productive player that has elite speed. Um, so he's somebody that you definitely have to keep an eye on um, in this process. But I, I think that when you're talking about the secondary as a whole, keeping an eye on Brandon Cooks while also playing aggressively, playing with an aggressive nature, knowing that you could take advantage or maybe bait Davis Mills into some bad throws, I think absolutely the Seahawks secondary uh, is excited about that chance. All right, it is Thursday, and every Thursday, Russell Wilson is one of the players to take to the podium and talk to reporters. We will take you there next. You are listening to The Huddle. Russell Wilson speaking with reporters live from Seahawks headquarters. We'll take you there now. The Iranian NFL Man of the Year. What do you think of Tyler Lockett being this year's nominee? Well, first of all, the Man of the Year award is a special thing. Uh, obviously, uh, it was a gift to be able to win that last year. What a blessing. Um, when I think about a guy like Tyler Lockett, um, he's a man that's, uh, that demonstrates you know, everything and that's good. Um, you know, He's a guy who's obviously a, a really amazing teammate to everyone. He works his butt off every day. He loves the game. But I think what's, what's amazing about Tyler is he uses his gifts to serve others and he uses his gifts to love others and, and impact others in such a tremendous way. And uh, we couldn't have a better man of the year uh, than Tyler Lockett and what he's demonstrated for this football team, uh, demonstrated for this organization, demonstrated what, what, uh, what's good um, you know, about the city and just, um, and he's done so many amazing things. I think about um, <clears throat> some of the things he's done, you know, obviously over the years and what he's done he just even as, as of late, you know, with, I know he's donated over you know, something like 30, 30 plus thousand, thirty-two thousand dollars worth of clothes and food and, and all that into the community. And um, you know, I know he's also done the scholarships for kids for college and I think it's thirty-five, thirty-four thousand dollars or something like that for college scholarships. So, I mean, what a what a what an amazing individual, a guy who, um, if if he didn't play receiver anymore, he he could be a, an amazing uh, writer, uh, you know, poet, and also a bestseller. So, he's an amazing he's an amazing man and just. Um, Hopefully he gets acknowledged in, a, in, a, in an amazing way, continues to get acknowledged in an amazing way. Russ, last week, uh, what do you think about the offense to finally start clicking in the second quarter? I think through the first five drives, you've gone, you know, outside of the fake punt, you've gone backwards in yardage. And what ultimately kicked forward to where you guys started to find it? Well, I think, you know, we're playing some really good football teams, you know, along the way. Then You know, you're not going to get every every play, every not everything you, you draw up or, or imagine or think is going to happen or whatever. they got some really good players on the other side. Um, and so the game, a game of football is a, is a long-lasting game. It's a game that every possession counts, but also uh, as, as the possession that, that, that has left you before, the next one is the most important one. And the next play is the most important one. So that's what we stayed focused on. And, and I think that we did a tremendous job with that. Um, you know, this past game, and we really caught fire. Um, we had we had a, a couple of other touchdowns in there. We really could have scored, you know, 40, 45 points probably or so. Um, it gets a really, really good defense. We have a lot of respect for how they play the game, and we were able to make some really cool plays. Um, some things didn't go our way, but, um, you know, that's that's the kind of NFC West battles that you get, um, and, and I thought we did a tremendous job of that. And the other part that I thought was really critical 
was just the engagement of everybody on the sideline from offense to defense. Everybody was working together. Everybody knows what we're fighting for. And, and um, that, that really showed up all week. And I think that we've been really determined to have that. You know, um, I think that was really special. You when you look at Houston's defense, they've got a total of 14 interceptions by 10 different players. What are you seeing on film that's, that's led to all of those takeaways that they've created? Yeah, Houston does a great job of getting after the ball. They punch it out. They make great plays on the, in the secondary. Linebackers do, too. They do a tremendous job. They play with high effort. Um, this team's a really good football team, even though the record may not necessarily demonstrate everything they've done. I mean, to have 14 interceptions and to have all the things they've done, um, they're coached extremely well. Obviously, Lovey Smith's a tremendous football coach who's been in the league for a long time, you know, is um, highly, highly regarded and highly respected across the league. And um, so I think that they've done a great job of, of making plays. they got playmakers across the board. Where's the challenge for you on that one, right? There's not just one guy that you have to look out for who's been the, the ball hawk the entire time. What's the challenge when you've got so many different potential playmakers on defense? I think to know that, um, you know, I think the challenge in that is is to know that all their guys can make plays. Um, you know, you, you got to be really efficient with the football like we always know how to be and, and to be really diligent with the ball. I think um, <clears throat> I think that also to, um, you know, pressing the gas and just in terms of just us making our plays, you know, as we go go make our plays, we're going to get contested plays and, uh, and to be able to win those 50-50 balls or to be able to win those moments are going to be really key. And, uh, and then, um, you know, when we run it, obviously protecting the football and we drop back protecting it too as well. And, and uh, you know, it's going to be, like I said, this team, you know, has played some really good football. I, you know, they, they're really physical. They, they make some great plays. Um, you know, Jacob Martin come off the edge. He's done a really good job. So it's cool to see him, you know, doing his thing. I, I, I remember when he came in as a rookie, just a guy who was so dedicated to his craft. And um, so I have a lot of respect for him. A lot, a lot of great players on that team. You mentioned the talent the 49ers have up front. Your offensive line's been pretty banged up. You had to have two rookies play a good chunk of the game on mm -hmm. Sunday. What did it mean for you to see those guys step in in a rivalry game like that and yeah. step up? Yeah, it was huge to have to have you know guys step into the game offensive line. I thought kept battling throughout that game. Obviously, we got a guy like Bosa on the other side, and and uh, some other players they have, you know, and their ability to get to the quarterback. They're really special at that. But um, you know, to be able to have our guys step in, you know, and, and really do a tremendous job of, of pass protecting and run blocking too as well, and really give me enough time to make some of those throws and um, was really huge. And the guys have been playing banged up. I think about a guy like Shell who's who's been banged up kind of for most of the year. He just keeps he just keeps battling. He just keeps battling. He keeps battling. You know, I know um, you know Posick has, has overcome some injuries. Uh, you know, Kyle was has been in there before with some injuries battling. Um, you know, obviously, and hopefully we get D. Lou back out there. Um, he's been battling with some stuff. And so um, Gabe, you know, he's a he's an ultimate pro. He's been he's been in there. Um, obviously, Dwayne too as well. Those two guys um, are, are, are ultimate pros. And so I think um, what, what's been really cool to see is just um, there is no fear in our guys. You know, they 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 they, they believe in what we can do. I mean, I, you know, I believe in them, and we, we all believe together that we can uh, we can do uh, great things. And so um, that really showed up this past week in particular with with a tough you know challenge ahead of us. When you look when you went back and looked at the film of that game, and statistically, it was your best game sort of since you. You know, been injured and all that. Did, did it feel like that to you? Like, you know, this is to come. Yeah, I think every week it's just gotten better, which I knew that that would happen. You know, just anytime you're you're, you're battling and coming coming off of stuff, I think you get better every day, and that's that's hopefully the goal every week. You know, you get better from each week, and I think that um, <clears throat> I think for me, you know, I think the biggest thing that I said early in the game after the 
you know, or after the first or second drive, I, and I said to the sideline, I said, this game's all going to be, this game, you know, this past game we just played, this, this game's going to be all about composure. You know, it's going to be some crazy stuff. I, I mean, I've, you know, I've been fortunate to be in a lot of these crazy games, you know, with, with 49ers or other teams in our division and everything else. And that game in particular was about composure. You know, how can we keep our composure? How can we uh, remain neutral in the midst of it all? Um, and, and, and just, you know, know that uh, this is going to be a long game. You know, and so keep battling, keep, keep trying to win our matchups and keep trying to win our opportunities. Have you seen uh, Gerald respond this week from his tough game? Yeah, Gerald's been great. I mean, I've been talking to him during the game and after the game. Um, we texted, talked, you know, after the game in the locker room too as well. Um, we also, uh, you know, obviously all, all week, you know, he's he's one of those guys that doesn't blink. You know, he knows that, um, you know, he, he wishes that that, that that stuff didn't happen. Um, but he's competing, you know, he's doing the best that he can every day. He's been tremendous for us this season. He's made some... Um, uh, amazing plays for us, you know, and he continues to do that. He will continue to do that. And if I believe in anybody, you know, Gerald Everett's one of those guys. But there was a report yesterday about um, that you would approve trades to three different teams. Did, did you see that? Do you have a thought on that at all? I didn't see it. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not really on social right now as much. Um, or anything like that, but I, I did see it because somebody sent it to me. <laughs> um, you know, no, that's not that's not that's not in my head right now at all. I, I didn't say that e either. Um, so you know, I, I'm I'm focused on what we're doing here. Obviously, I, I love Seattle. This is a place that I've I've, I've loved every day, every moment. Uh, I talked to you guys about joy last week. Um, you know, when I hurt my finger, you realize that you know every day you just you, you want to take advantage of every day. I've always had that mindset, but just. Um, you know, I love this. I love this this place. I love this space. I love where my mind's at. I love where our team's at. Um, I, I think that we can be better. Um, you know, you know, in, in this journey, but we can we can go as far as we want to go in the next five weeks and plus. You know, and so I think that's the, that's where my head is. And you know, so that, that's that's a uh, it's a non-story. Would you would it be accurate to say you intend to fulfill your contract? Say again. Would it be accurate to say you intend to fulfill the contract you're under here. Yeah, that's my hope. You know, my hope is to not just fulfill it. Hopefully, I get to play here for you know 20 years of my career. Um, will that happen? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, but that's my prayer. That's my hope. Um, you know, uh, and all that stuff. That's that stuff's in the future. You know, that stuff's down down the road. Uh, I think my, my my mission, my focus that I can only do right now is focus on right now, today. Third down, red zone, light it up, have a great day, uh, bring as much energy and much focus as I can to this football team. Um, and as, I, as I mentioned, I love this place. I love this you know city and this team and, and what we can do. So I, I think my, my focus is on that, and that's, that's really what matters. It was a packed first hour of the huddle. You heard from Daryl Taylor. You heard from Sidney Jones in those interviews, and you just heard from Russell Wilson answering questions, by the way, about trade rumors. Uh, we're about to get into a packed second hour, by the way. Now come the experts. We're going to go in the trenches with Ray Roberts. We've got Steve Rabel on. We're going to have an opponent preview, wrap things up with John Boyle. Don't go anywhere. It's all coming your way next. All right. You are listening to The Huddle. Stacey Ross and Jake Heaps here, and we're going in the trenches with Ray Roberts. Uh, Ray, first of all, how's it going? It's going all right. Uh, dealing with a little uh, internet uh, failure over here, but oh, other no. than that, uh, doing okay. Okay, G good thing. Other than that, okay. Um, last week when we talked to you, we talked about the offensive line struggling. Now, did you see an improvement in this game, or did they win in spite of it? I mean, what were your takeaways specifically? We'll just start up front. Well, I think you know during the game with the injuries that they had and uh, uh, Forsyth and Curran uh, having to come in. Um, I think it was a little bit of a combination of both. It was a rough start. You know, there were moments in the game uh, where they showed that inconsistency, but then there were moments in the game uh, where they were doing some 
you know, some good things in pass protection and, and, you know, with the running game that we had, uh, you know, being able to be effective with the run game, I still obviously don't think that, uh, that, you know, that it's a well-tuned machine. And, uh, and I think that for some of the players, uh, there's still room to be, to be better at it. But the thing I liked, was that they just kept battling, you know, and kept trying to find ways to give Russell time or create lanes to pick up the two or three yards to get Adrian Peterson in the end zone or, or uh, you know, Rashad Penny had 10 carries for 35 yards. That was success. You know, it may not sound like a whole bunch, but in the whole scheme of things, that was a successful day for him to pick up a blitz, finish a run with a nice little forearm shiver, and then come out the game injury-free, ready to lace it up for this week. That's a win. You know, Ray, I looked at everything in context when it came to the 49ers game. Yeah, the run game statistically didn't have the monster night. Yes, the offensive line struggled in pass protection at different points in time. There's no question. But you talk about battling. You talk about being effective. Um, what what can we hope for as they finish out the rest of the season? Is it that, that they can be good enough to be effective, or do you think there's an opportunity to build something and finish on a high note? Well, I, I think if you can get the, all the guys back in there healthy, you know, like because uh, sometimes you know you're out because you're injured, and when you come back, you're still dealing with the injury. You're just at a place where you can play, right? Uh, but if you can get guys, if you can get guys back healthy enough to have. Uh, that starting unit in there certainly there there's something that you can build on. You know they they can get into a rhythm, you know the the last few games and and have that you know carry them into the into the off season. But so far there just hasn't been anything that says that that's going to happen. And so the way I described it uh, at the pregame show last week was, you know. I don't know if you guys have been in these types of situations, but I have when they, when you're in school and the, and they say, Hey, at three o'clock, the fight's going down, you know? And so when the bell rings, everybody runs to the football field or out to the open space of the school and the fight happens. And, uh, and the, and the folks that are in the fight are in the fight and, uh, and you can't be, you're either in or you're out. And so I think that's how the Seahawks have to make it. We, we talked about this last week. You have to find a way to win. That is your identity. Like, your identity isn't going to be, you know, like running the rock for 150 yards and throwing it for 350 yards. It's going to be find a way to win. So that means that the guys up front, you just got to, you got to, you got to come with it and just come ready to fight and do whatever you have to do. Strain a little harder, hold a little tighter, move a little faster, you know, finish a little better. All those different kinds of things to be able to make plays, you know, when you have to make plays so that you can win the football game. Hey, are you expecting, I mean, I know we were talking about balance and kind of doing what you do best, not what you think you can do best against an opponent. That said, uh, do you view them maybe leaning into the run against a Texans defense that's giving up 140 a game? Well, I would expect, even if they were giving up minus 140 a game, <laughs> Pete, Pete Carroll is still going to try to run the football. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> So we can just take we can just take that piece of it and just know that that's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, and uh, because I still think that you know, uh, it's not always whether or not you can be rush for 150 yards. It also creates a rhythm to your offense. And mm-hmm. and and he spoke to that a few weeks ago. You know, when we we're talking about the Washington football team that they ran it so many times that they only average about you know less than four yards a carry, but it kept their offense on rhythm. And it kept the defense having to come off blocks and make tackles and all that kind of stuff. And Adrian Peterson is a dude that, you know, if he carries the ball eight times for eight yards, you have to tackle that dude eight times. 
like he runs he still runs really really hard and so that that brings something to the to the deal and so i think they're going to try to establish a run especially since uh you know penny like i said came out of it healthy looked good did some good things finished off the runs strong you know used his body to pick up a blitz you know a blitzing uh, uh outside defender like those kinds of things so that looks like he has more confidence in himself so i would expect that they're going to at least test that out and, and see what he can bring to the table right one of the questions that we were talking about and debating about yesterday um, really came off of something Mark Schlereth had said um, uh, before, was talking about how, look, part of the job and the effectiveness of an offensive line is predicated off of your play caller. And right now, as we have talked about and lamented, that Shane Waldron has not been able to su- successfully establish an identity to this offense. How much of that do you think is the factor for this group underperforming versus just personal performance? I think it's a you know a combination of both, and and um, and I still think you know this late in the season it's kind of hard to lean on this as an excuse. But not having those live reps together uh, in the preseason, when you have one guy, a new guy coming in at right guard, the right guard moving to left guard, looking to play beside an All Pro tackle who doesn't take any reps in the games or in practice. And you're trying to settle the center position, uh, you know, between two guys. And you have a new play caller. And you have, you know, you have new plays that you're running. There's a lot of newness going on, and uh, and so it just seems like up until this point, you've had five guys plan, you know, individual dudes plan to try to get something accomplished versus have it versus having five, uh, you know, players players one. And so, but so that's part of it. And the other part of it is when. When you talk offense, when people start talking about how you put an offense together and all this stuff, usually the conversation starts and ends with the quarterback, the running backs, and receivers. And so you're trying to maximize what they can do and how they can be effective and how they can be explosive and how they can be dominant. And people don't take into account the things that the offensive line can or cannot do. And so I think you have to do that when you're putting an offense together. You have to start right there because that's where it all starts and ends. None of those other things really work if the, if the quarterback has you know, less than two seconds to throw the ball. You know? And so I think you have to build an offense, craft an offense, and call plays in a way that it allows the offensive line to have a few more tools in their box. And you can, you can you know, uh, develop an offensive line that way. So short passes, uh, you know, drop back passes, moving the pocket, rollouts, play action passes, screens. All those different things give me, as an offensive lineman, mm-hmm. and pass protection, five or six different sets that I can use. So now I have the defensive line thinking about what they're doing, and they're not just tearing off and rushing the quarterback. And then it also helps in the run game when things start to look the same, like the first two or three steps look the same. So now they might be reading pass action and this run, and so you get the, you get really into them, and you can drive them down the field, get good, good movement. Or they might be reading run, and so they slow down the brace up for the run, and it's a pass. So, like, you, you can do things to create um, development for your offensive line and help your offensive line, depending on how you build the offense and call the plays. Hey, Ray, we've only got a minute, and I should have asked this earlier, but I have to make sure I get this question in. What did you make of uh, Stone Forsythe? It's kind of our most extended look yet at him. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I think he just came in and battled. You know, yeah. uh, you know, it wasn't any real glaring mistakes, but uh, but you know, some of the technique wasn't good. I think you know, the speed of the game was still an issue for him. 
I think his height is still going to be a, a something he has to deal with and learn how to play lower and, and not allow guys to take advantage of, of their just natural leverage because they're shorter than he is. Uh, but, you know, for, for just, you know, jumping in the game, you know, not necessarily – probably coming into the game, think you're going to play, and then all of a sudden you're taking a lot of reps. You know, I thought I thought he battled and uh, and did pretty good. All right, you guys, he is an expert with this stuff and all things football. He's a former offensive lineman and current NFL analyst. You can hear him this Sunday on the Seahawks pre- and post-game show. He's Ray Roberts. Ray, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Look forward to uh, seeing you guys again at the stadium. Yep, See, thanks, Ray. See ya. All right. Uh, we are not done with expert interviews. We're going to talk to the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel, next. I want to know some of his keys to the game. Now, I've been thinking, like, run the ball. Yeah, sure, but let's see what Steve has to say. That's coming your way next. You are listening to The Huddle. Jay Keeps and Stacey Ross here. We're joined now by the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Hey, Rabes, how's it going? I'm great, guys. How are you? Fantastic. I mean, we're looking ahead to a game against the Houston Texans, a 10 a.m. kickoff that uh, on paper seems very winnable for Seattle, but what's going to be one of the biggest keys for them? Yeah, well, one thing I learned a long time ago, and, and perhaps Jake did too, uh, that you rarely play a game on paper. Uh, most of the time, <laughs> you have to go out on the field and do it. I think Chuck Knox said one time that if all you had to do was go out and dump the uh, play uh, playbook out at midfield to win the game, then you know it'd be a lot easier on everybody. But um, there, there, there are any team can beat anybody on any given Sunday. I mean, just just figure that's the case. When you go in thinking that in every game in every circumstance, then you know that you have to prepare to beat mm-hmm. a team that's 2-10, and 10, and that's what the Hawks have to do this week. You know, they don't do, Houston that is, they don't do a lot of things great. They take the ball away. They've got 21 takeaways on that defensive side, so they're pretty good at that. And we know that that's one of uh, Pete's biggest uh, mantras uh, every game is it's all about the ball. So Seattle's going to have to do a good job protecting it, especially a week after three turnovers um so uh, you know that's one of the things that i expect houston will try to do try to force either russ into a a poor throw stick tight to receivers to try to pick a pass or two uh and maybe jar one or two loose from the running backs you know raves that's a great point that you make because it is something that they recently just this last game really struggled with and yes it came from one individual in particular um but you're fortunate that you didn't have four with adrian peterson as well he had a he had a fumble that hit the the turf and and they were able to recover it but um it just goes to show that again the conversation about any given sunday you have to take every single opponent you know seriously um tennessee learned that the hard way a few weeks back when when playing the houston texans as well what will this tell you, though, if the Seahawks are able to build upon the win that they had against the 49ers and play good, solid football in this one? Well, it tells me that exactly what Pete has kind of preached all along, that if we can get this thing turned around, we can build on it. And if they win this week, as they should, the expectation is they should not only from outside the building, but inside the building. There is that expectation. You have to win the games that you're supposed to win. Then I think that what that says is this team is is, is finally starting to recognize how best they can utilize all those parts. Defense took a little time off the top of the season, but here in this stretch, yeah, they've given up some yards, but they haven't given up many points. Uh, they've been able to take the ball away, and now they're actually starting to get some pressure on quarterbacks, which is kind of the last thing in the list that you want to go down defensively that they need to do. Offensively, 
I was, even though it was kind of pedestrian, the running attack besides the 73-yard fake punt, um, I, I was encouraged that they got with it and they stayed with it. And I expect to see that this week, that running the football. Uh, Houston gives up, what, 144 yards a game on the ground. That should tell me that, that uh, Penny mm-hmm. and Peterson and Collins are going to get the ball early and often this week. And I think they should be successful at that. This is a team that's now going to play the rest of the season, unfortunately, without Jamal Adams, their star safety. How, if at all, do you think that changes the way they play on defense? Well, Jamal is one of those guys that can do so many things. I mean, he, you know, he, he can come up to the line of scrimmage and blitz. We know that. We saw it last year. Uh, he can drop down into the box and be uh, uh, terrific on, on uh, uh, run pressures. Uh, he can drop back and play uh, zone. He's he can play man. You know, there's a lot of things that that he can do as a as a safety, and I think Pete has talked about it, and the other guys have talked about it too. Just the energy that he brings to the locker room, on the sidelines, during the game. Uh, you know, you mic him up, and you have like two and a half to three hours of nonstop noise making and talking and getting guys prepared. You're gonna miss all that stuff. That said, Ryan Neal is experienced now. He's played. I expect him to step in and, and do his job, as we like to say. And um, uh, But you, you will miss uh, all those things that, uh, that, uh, that Jamal brings. Uh, Rabes, we got the opportunity to talk to Daryl Taylor earlier today uh, on the huddle and, and you know, just kind of explaining through some of the process of being out and then you know, getting, the, getting to be on the field for the first time and how much he feels like he has learned and how much he feels like he has grown. Have you seen that growth in him as you watch him play this season? Yeah, I have. Uh, and, you know, he, he would love to be able to be a nine or ten sack guy, and maybe one day he will be. Um, I think sacks happen for a lot of reasons. You have some people that are just so physically dominating that they are going to get their sacks. You know, in his early years, Clowney, um, uh, the, you know, the, the brothers – um, from Pittsburgh and Houston, whose last name escapes me, Watt. Uh, those guys are just, they're just remarkable pass rushers. But a lot of guys need help from the rest of the defense. They need to have, you know, the defensive tackles doing their job, pushing everybody uh, straight up field, forcing that quarterback to try to wheel out and, and run right into your arms. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of things that go into a sack. That said, he seems to be a young guy who wants to learn. In fact, I just 10 minutes ago finished a conversation with Carlos Dunlap. He has sort of become that elder statesman of helping teach these young guys. And he was telling me that these young guys are leaning in when he has something to say. And that's a good thing. A guy like Taylor can learn from a guy like Dunlap, and so can so can Robinson, and so can the other guys. They need to continue, though, that growth. But I'm really encouraged by what I see. Yeah, Dunlap is one of those guys, Rabes, that does so much behind the scenes. And I know that you see those things and you see on the sidelines and uh, at the headquarters and everything. But a lot of things people don't see, like uh, Gerald Everett, when he had uh, that first fumble, he was on the bench clearly upset, frustrated, and Carlos Dunlap came up. I mean, that you don't normally see a lot of offensive and defensive players other than when they congratulate each other coming up and talking to each other, but walks up and reassures him. And I just thought, man, this guy's only been here. This is his second year, and he's 
this comfortable being a leader. Right. And he has a flair for the dramatic. Um, we talked about that. You know, he gets the sack in the end zone. Yeah. He gets the safety. Yeah. He waits till the last, basically the last offensive play of the game, as far as uh, San Francisco uh-huh. is concerned, and slaps down a pass at the three-yard line to secure the win. Remember a Last year, he won a couple of games or helped win a couple of games with big sacks right at the end of the game. So he does have that flair. But something I didn't know about him until I prepared for this interview, he has his master's degree in business administration. He is a very intelligent gentleman, business owner, has his own foundation. So when you're a young football player, why wouldn't you mm-hmm. kind of lean in and listen to what a guy like that has to say? I, I was, I, I'm just desperately impressed by, by Carlos Dunlap. I, I would love to see him now finish out the season on a rise and getting a one or two sacks every game. I think that'd be terrific. Yeah, it definitely would be terrific, and, and that is the thing that I, I agree with you is that you know Dunlap is, is one of those personalities and one of those people that – are genuinely good people in this league and and are great representatives. And so um, definitely want to see him end on a positive note. But, Rabes, who else do you look at and say, gosh, I, I really would love to see this guy end on a positive note? Well, for everybody, because, you know, it's easy. Because <laughs> if everybody finishes on a positive note, then that means the team is going to win – their games, you know, here toward the end of the season. And that's what you have to do. I mean, there's just, you have no other uh, recourse now other than to win everything if you want to continue to play. And there's no guarantee even that that's going to happen. But, you know, you owe the Rams, you owe the Cardinals, you need to win those two games in the division. You are supposed to win games against the Lions and the Bears. Uh, So everybody needs to really kind of play to their best abilities. Um, you know, I don't. I I've kind of learned from Pete. You don't say they have to play above themselves. They have to come up with some spectacular kind of play. No, but play the way you've been coached and the way we know you can play, and then you give your chance, uh, your team a chance to win. So defensively, I you know I love what what uh, what Monet is doing inside. Those big guys up front, Puna, uh, they're they're playing really good football these days, and the whole defense is playing well against the run. Brooks is a special player. The skill he has defensively, and then, of course, Diggs uh, in the secondary can make plays all over the field. He reminds us of another guy who was a free safety on this team a few (laughs) years back. Maybe not quite the speed, but, boy, that aggressive nature, he can make big plays. And on offense, you know, your quarterback has to play best. Your best players have to play best to win football games. So Russ and DK, um, they they all have to be good. And, I, I, you know, I'm going to put a little bit, too, here. Uh, Jake, on the offensive coaches, Andy Dickerson, the run game coordinator, and Shane uh, Waldron, the offensive coordinator. You know now that you've got some guys that can run the ball. They all seem to be pretty healthy. Yeah. So now let's get to it. Let's stick to it. Let's get that balance going so that that makes the game easier for Russ to complete those play-action passes downfield. Well said. He is Steve Rabel, the voice of the Seahawks. Obviously, you'll be able to hear him this weekend on that call, 10 a.m. kickoff between these two teams, and you can hear him every week on the huddle. Rabes, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. See ya. All right, coming up next, we're going to step across enemy lines for an opponent preview, talking with John McClain about these Houston Texans. What's in store for Seattle? This is The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. Let's take a step over enemy lines with an opponent preview with the John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. John, how's it going? 
Well, if you have, as bad as people may think it is with the Seahawks this season, it's uh, even worse with the Texans, who I believe are the worst team in the league, and they'll prove that again against the Seahawks as they have the last two weeks against the Jets and the Colts. This is, John, the most fire opening to an opponent preview interview we've ever had. Just someone coming in and being like, yeah, this team's awful. How's it going with you? <laughs> uh, well, John, well, we, you know, when we look at the uh, the Houston Texans here, you know, one of the things that we're trying to figure out is just how bad everything currently is. We know things from the outside, but internally, John, what is the organization currently dealing with? Obviously, the latest news being that they released – their start starting linebacker, uh, Zach Cunningham. Well, first of all, Zach Cunningham been breaking rules all season. And the coach, David Culley, sat him down. He said, look, if you do it again, you're out of here. Then he didn't show up to get his COVID-19 test before the Colts game. That's a violation of protocols negotiated by the NFL Players Association and the Management Council. And if you're dumb enough, to miss that test after you've been repeatedly warned, you deserve to get cut. Now, they did him a favor. He'll have a chance to go to a playoff contender instead of a team competing for the first overall pick. But when Nick Casario was hired as general manager from New England and they hired David Culley, one of the things they did, turned over the roster, and they said they are going to establish the kind of culture that they want, and if players don't want to be part of it, then they can be gone. So they've made trades. They've made cuts. Didn't surprise me at all about Cunningham. I'd actually sit on my talk show yesterday. I thought he was gone after the season. But uh, David Culley did it yesterday, and he minced no words. And as Lovey Smith, the defense coordinator, said today, sometimes divorce is best. So they got divorced from Zach Cunningham, and hopefully he learned from his transgressions. And whatever new team he ends up with, he will be more reliable off the field. John, I'm really curious about David Coley specifically and his relationship with the organization. Does the organization view David Coley as the man for the job or a stop gap or a stopgap leader to get them out of this difficult transition? Well, it could be both. They can't commit to anybody in this organization beyond this year because they're so pathetic. And when you get beat by the Jets at home after you just upset the Titans in the biggest game of the year, and then you get shut out by the Colts, second time you've been shut out, and you have the fewest points, the biggest point differential, your last in offense, last in rushing, next to last in, uh, I'm sorry, they are last in rushing, next to last in passing. They've yet to get the uh, trifecta there. And then their defense has played better under Lovey Smith, but they've had a lot of injuries, a lot of players coming and going. And so the defense and special teams have been bright spots, but the offense is so utterly pathetic. Somehow they've only gained 100 yards twice, only once since the first game victory over Jacksonville. And somehow last week they went from 32nd in average per carry to 31st thanks to the Dolphins having such a bad running game. But Miami's won five in a row. So the Texans, as far as the organization, where they're going, everybody in the league said they're going to be the worst team, and they've lived down to those expectations. And they are the worst team. I think they need to get the first pick in the draft, trade Deshaun Watson, get multiple picks, and uh, there's some other players need to be traded, and uh, they're starting over 
again next season. I think they should be the worst team in the league next year so they can get Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. Hey, John, I'm asking because I'm curious about your answer. How should the Seahawks feel if they lose to this team? Let's see. Like the Titans did, utterly humiliating. But the Titans had a lot of excuses. They had so many players out. But it's still, as I told people, Texans had players out too. They just went up there and beat them. And it was, we're still in shock. I think they're in shock. So I do not look for the Seahawks to lose this game. The last two times they've played, they've both been great games. I'm writing a column tomorrow about the last time they played here. One play changed the course of both franchises. That was Richard Sherman's interception that uh, set up overtime and allowed the Seahawks to go 3-0, and uh, I mean 4-0, and and uh, win the Super Bowl. Texans had been 12 and 4. They were 2 and 1 at that point. Had the game in hand, and the pick six by Sherman altered the course of this franchise. Mm. And in the last game, of course, up there, rookie Deshaun Watson was great. Russell Wilson was greater, and I'll never forget after that game, Sherman and some other defensive players saying Watson's performance against them was the best they'd ever seen, not by a rookie, but the best they'd ever seen. And you know what? His career took off after that. Oh, I'm sorry. Next week in practice, he tore his ACL, but then when he came back in 2018, Sherman and those other players were right because he was a great quarterback. John, that's why, you know, you look at the Texans organization and just the downfall, the the rapid decline has been so, I, I mean, just from the outside perspective, I know for you it's it's probably been a, a nightmare to deal with, but uh, it, it has been very fascinating to watch how quickly from a leadership perspective and the success has just tapered off. And you mentioned them needing to offload and, and continue to keep rebuilding. Is there anything or any player that you look at with this organization right now and say, there's one bright spot here. Here's a guy that you should be looking out for for the Texans that's that's has been performing well. Oh yeah, they got some players. Their offensive tackle Titus Howard will play left tackle. He's been at right. He's been at left guard, and I thought they made a mistake moving him from right tackle. But Pro Football Focus has him as the highest rated tackle in the league the last two games. He plays well. They got defensive end Jonathan Bernard, who is second in the league to T.J. Watt in sacks per snaps. He's been really good. They have some players that I'm not saying cornerstones. They have a linebacker, Cameron Grugier Hill, who just set a team record. For tackles, he's been terrific and is going to get a big new contract. So they do have some talent. Their problem is that Tyrod Taylor played great for six quarters to start the season. They beat Jacksonville here handily, then they were tied with Cleveland, 14-14 in Cleveland, and he had a hamstring injury that kept him out six weeks. Their backup, their rookie, Davis Mills, only started 11 games at Stanford, third-round pick. They didn't want to have to play until the end of the year, and he had to play. And he had one great game against the Patriots in which they lost by three, and he's never come close to it since. When Taylor came back, they started him. He was not the same quarterback. And so now, even though they're trying to play coy and say they won't announce the starting quarterback till tomorrow, we all believe it'll be Davis Mills. There's no reason to go back to Tyrod Taylor, and he has torn ligament in his left wrist, but they say he could play, and it's not an injury 
decision. Well, there's no reason to play him. Davis Mills should be seen the rest of the year because they got to decide, do we want to build around him and give him a full season as the starter? And if he can't handle it, then they'll worry about the quarterback next year when the crop coming out is a whole lot better than this year. And I think that's what they're going to do. So they need to play Davis Mills. John, one of the other things that uh, you look at with this organization, you had mentioned this earlier in, uh, in, in a question, but how, how are uh, Houston fans reacting to David Coley? Uh, what, what, what does everyone down there think of David Coley, the head coach? Everyone down here is angry at everybody in the organization, starting with the owner, Cal McNair. They're a little more tolerable of Nick Casario. After 20 years with the Patriots, his, and they tried to get him third time. They finally got him because rules changed, and they gave him a six-year contract. So he came in to tear everything down. We all knew that was <laughs> going to be the situation. And yet, you know, after the Tennessee game, people thought they might beat the Jets, and they were awful. And so um, I don't know why people think they need to win. They don't need to win. They need to get the first pick. And, uh, but as far as Cully, you know, everybody wants him fired. I'll be very surprised if he's a one-and-done. Pete Carroll couldn't do a better job with this talent. Bill Belichick couldn't do a better job with this talent this season because they are awful. He's one of the more accomplished reporters on any beat anywhere. It's John McClain, been doing this for 45 years. You can read his work in the Houston Chronicle and in Texas fashion. Very straight shooter with us today. John, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thank you guys very much. I do appreciate it. Happy holidays. All right, from one reporter to another, John Boyle, a reporter for Seahawks.com, going to join us next on The Huddle, plus our final thoughts. Don't go anywhere. This is The Huddle with Jake Heaps and Stacy Ross joining us right now to help us wrap up the day and also give us an update on this team. It's John Boyle, reporter for Seahawks.com. Hey, John, how's it going? It's going good. How are you guys? We're we're good. We're good. We're recovering from the interview that we did with John McClain oh down there God. in Texas. And uh, John, I have to say, already you are far more upbeat and positive than what he was. From yeah, it's it's a little rough down there for them. He ended the interview by just saying and like uh, punctuating, "They are awful." <laughs> That's what John said? Yes. Yes. And he's been around. He's seen a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Funny guy. He's that down, it's got to be bad. He certainly has. And so from one John to another, you know, I mean, we we wanted to ask you currently – where what you think of the challenge, the unique challenge that is in front of the Seahawks? I mean, they're they're four and eight, but they're not, you know, where the Houston Texans are right now. And uh, you know, a lot of people go into the game and assume that hey, they got this in the bag and that they should win. But w- what do you think is the unique challenge for them in this matchup? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big challenge for any coaching staff. Is hey, you know, you got to take this seriously. I don't care what the record says you know, what their stats say, it's still the NFL. And, I mean, we just saw it, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, Houston went out and beat Tennessee, which is a really good team. So um, they're a team that's getting a lot of turnovers on defense. And if you turn the ball over, I don't care who you're playing, you can lose games with a bunch of turnovers. So, yeah, I mean, it's on paper, the Seahawks are definitely the better team here, but you can't just go coasting into it. And, I mean, that's the big challenge for the players and the coaches to make sure they're in the right place mentally. Uh, we know Adrian Peterson was signed with this team last week and had a touchdown for them. Now, there's like a favorable matchup between the Seahawks' run offense and a run defense allowing 140-plus yards per game, but 
Does that mean to you you expect to see a lot of Adrian Peterson, or who are you expecting to see uh, kind of carrying, getting the most carries for Seattle? This sounds like you're trying to sneak a fantasy football question into me, Stacey, and I don't Look, 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 I'm just saying, if you had a couple choices and maybe Dalvin Cook on your bench. (laughs) Now I see where it is. To me, it probably is going to come down to the health of Alex Collins. He he did practice yesterday, and Pete Carroll said that week off really helped him. So I would think, I mean, it's really hard to read right now because Alex Collins has been the main guy, Mm -hmm. but we did see Rashad Penny have a bigger role, and Pete Carroll seemed to really like what they saw him in, in small glimpses and wants to see him get going more. And then obviously, you know, Peterson had a big role, but if they're all healthy, somebody's probably the odd man out of that three in terms of touches. So, yeah, I can't, can't help you in your fantasy team, Stacey, but uh, I think a lot of it might just come down to how healthy they feel like uh, Alex Collins is going in. I'm adjusting my lineup as we speak. <laughs> this is on you now. <laughs> John, we, we know that obviously there was a devastating in- injury to Jamal Adams, his shoulder. He's going to have to have season-ending surgery. Uh, but we know very familiar who Ryan Neal is. What is the expectation for Neal as he steps into this role for Jamal Adams to finish out the rest of the season? I mean, they're expecting him to come in and play really well. I mean, Ryan Neal himself said he's not Jamal Adams. He's not trying to be Jamal Adams. You're you're probably not going to see him rush the passer as much, although Jamal was doing a lot less of that this year anyway than last season. So that may be less of a factor. But, you know, they they feel good about having him in there. He, He played really well last year when Adams was hurt. And, he was, you know, a good enough player. They felt the need to get him on the field more this year with that dime package, even when everyone was healthy. So, um, I, you know, they're not expecting there to be a lot of fall off. He's not the exact same player, and you can't expect him to do everything that Jamal Adams, Adams does. But everybody expects Ryan Neal to play well. Hey, there's a lot of shuffling on this offensive line with injuries right now. Is there a name or two we should be keeping an eye on this week? Yeah, I mean, to me, Brandon Shell's the biggest one. It sounds like Damian Lewis will be back. So if you get him back, you feel pretty good about that's most of your stars are healthy mm-hmm. otherwise. But Shell, you know, Pete Carroll didn't sound very optimistic about him when he was talking about him Monday. He said, you know, he, right off the bat, sounds like he's getting at least today off and yesterday off. So if, if he's practicing at best Friday and we don't even know about that yet, then that might make his chances a little slim. And the fact that the shoulder's not like it's a new thing. It's been bugging him. It's knocked him out of a couple games. So maybe they look at this as a game where you just, even if he could gut it out and play, maybe you rest him and try to get him healthy for the stretch run and, you know, see what either the rookie Stone Forsythe or Jay Kern, both of whom played a bunch last week, maybe you let one of them go there. Yeah. Uh, John, we, we have gotten starting to get these swirling reports just out there in general about where the Seahawks are currently at, where you know some of the big players within this organization, Jody Allen, uh, Pete Carroll, John Schneider, Russell Wilson, obviously the latest one that Russ was asked in his own press conference today, um, you know, if he could confirm or deny the, the reports that were out there. What, what would your advice be to Seahawks fans that are starting to see the increase in conversation that's surrounding this team nationally? I mean, I, I get why these conversations come up. The team's got a losing record and in general in the NFL when teams don't do well, changes happen. So it's natural that these conversations are going to happen. If, if, you know, my advice is I doubt anyone would follow this, but my advice in these situations is, Let's just chill and enjoy the ride, and then you know nothing's going to happen right now anyway. No one's going to get traded. Nobody's going to get fired in the middle of the season. So let's let's enjoy the ride. See if this team can win some games, and then yeah, in February, January, February, maybe we will be talking about some changes. But none of that's happening now anyway. There's going to be a lot of 
speculation rumors out there, but for now there's five games left and the, Granted, not huge, but a chance at the playoffs, and let's just see what this team can do if they can get hot. Speaking of enjoying the ride, they do have a lot of opportunities against some teams that are also really struggling. Um, that comes first against the Texans, so I'll focus on them right now because we'll, of course, be interviewing you for the the Bears and Lions. But uh, what's maybe a key to success this Sunday? I mean, I referenced it a little bit earlier, but it, just take care of the ball. You know, that's if there's one thing that kind of scares you about this Texans team when you look at all the different numbers and all the players and stats, the, the one that really jumps out to me is, you know, they've, they've got 14 interceptions and 21 takeaways, which both are, you know, top five, top ten in the league. So if, if, if a bad team is going to sneak up and get you, that's a good way for them to do it is take the ball away, get some extra possession. So I think if Russell Wilson can do what he usually does, which is not turn the ball over and you don't have some, you know, unusual fumbles like we saw last week, I think this team should be fine. All right. He is a reporter for Seahawks.com, John Boyle. You can hear him every week on the huddle and make sure you're reading his work at Seahawks.com. John, thanks so much. Talk to you next week. You're you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, John. All right. That'll do it for this week's huddle. You're going into a game with a lot of opportunities. That is the one theme we learned from all of our guests today. Lots of opportunities for Seattle, but got to handle that second part. Make sure you capitalize on them, Jake. Yes. Uh, so thank you I again to, to Daryl Taylor, to Sidney Jones, to Rabel, to, Roy, uh, to Ray Roberts, um, to, to John McLean, and to John Boyle, all of our guests today. A fantastic huddle. Can't wait for next week. Until then, this is 710 ESPN Seattle.